You think you know something about a podcast? You know nothing about a podcast. Welcome to a Beer Best Served Podcast. I'm your host, Ermio, a.k.a. the Bald Man Home Brewer. Let's get this brew session started. So sit back, relax, listen, and have a homebrew or two. Welcome, everyone, back to a Beer Best Served podcast. Today's subject is pretty exciting. Um, Up to this point, you've worked on your beer, and, of course, you've made that wort. You've put it into your fermenting bucket, and, of course, you've got it in a bucket, and you don't really get to see what's going on. So I'm going to use this segment to explain the fermenting process, the very exciting moment in your your beer brewing career. (laughs) You know, because home brewing can be like riding a roller coaster. You know, the first, of course, joy and excitement or the first hill or what do you call it? Peak that you're going to come across on a roller coaster is that one deciding to be a home brewer. And then you're going to have that moment where you're going to have to do all this research, all this knowledge gathering so that you can use that equipment properly. And then the next peak will be when you brew that very first batch. You've got your kettle and it's very, very exciting because you're making your very first batch of beer. And then you put it in this fermenting environment. You put an airlock on it. There's this beautiful activity that goes on. And then you've got this period of time. So there's that other peak. You got that period of time when it doesn't seem like anything is happening while your beer is fermenting in that fermenting environment. And so you go into that valley. And then it comes time to that bottling. uh, And when you're getting ready for that bottling, once again, you're ascending up that peak and you're gonna put this beer into that bottling environment. You're gonna cap those bottles and then you're gonna let them set aside for a period of time. And there you go, back into that valley. And then the most exciting and the tallest peak is when you actually crack that first bottle that you've homebrewed and drink the product that you've made, that you've patiently waited to drink. And that is probably the highest and most exciting moment because it's very inspirational. In most cases, (laughs) if you go back to my 20 year old history, it was not as exciting. But today's home brewing is a lot more exciting. The tools and resources you have today are a lot more available. There's so much more available. And I think you will be very successful on your very first batch. So the fermentation process. So we'll talk about, uh, you know, getting your homebrew ready for fermentation. We'll go into a little detail with that. And so my resources that I'll be reading from today are The Joy of Homebrewing, The Homebrewer's Recipe Guide, and then The Homebrewer's Answer Book. So starting with Charlie Papazin's The Complete Joy of Homebrewing, fully revised and updated third edition, page 24. Item number six, attach a fermentation hose and after initial fermentation has subsided, attach a fermentation lock. Now I'm going to read through this and then give you a little bit of an explanation as to the difference between the two, but I just want to read clearly through it so that, you know, there isn't any um, misconceptions or more importantly, I don't confuse the hell out of you. (laughs) All right. So the fermentation of your beer will be a closed fermentation. This term indicates that it will be closed off from the air and the environment. You can be 99% assured that your beer will not become contaminated with wild yeast and other microorganisms that may produce off flavors. Note, there is no known pathogens, deadly microorganisms that can survive in beer. So don't worry about dying. (laughs) First, sanitize the three foot or one meter length of one and a quarter inch Uh, 3.2 centimeter outside diameter clear plastic hose. After having strained out all hop and grain ingredients from your brew, fit the hose into the carboys opening. For the initial two or three days of fermentation, this configuration will serve as a pipe that will direct the overflow of fermenting foam out and into an awaiting container. This method of fermentation has an extra advantage of blow-off, excessive bitter hop resin, excess yeast, and other things that may contribute to hangovers when consumed. If you're using a a 6.5-gallon or 25-liter glass carboy to ferment 5 gallons or 19 liters, 
or a five-gallon carboy to ferment four gallons or 15 liters of beer. It's not necessary to affix a blow-off hose to the carboy. Attaching a rubber cork and fermentation lock configuration is adequate because fermentation foam will usually not reach the top of the carboy. You will notice a great deal of activity during the first two or three days of fermentation. It's quite impressive to observe. After those first three days, the activity will diminish and you'll want to place a fermentation lock atop the carboy for the remainder of the fermentation. Affix the fermentation lock onto the sanitized rubber cork. Your fermentation lock is a simple device that allows fermentation gases to escape from the fermenter, but not will, but will not allow air to enter the fermenter. Sanitize the fermentation lock in your household bleach water solution, then place the fermentation lock atop the carboy. Be sure to fill the lock with, a, with about three quarters inch or two centimeters of water. You must fill it with water and you will soon notice the gases produced by fermentation bubbles merrily through, the, uh, through and out the fermentation lock. So in understanding it correctly, you know there are two methods one is is if you're if you're if you're stuck with having a you, you know in the inventory i suggested a six gallon uh fermentation bucket and the reason why i do that is it does avoid having to use a blow over tube or blow out tube because what happens is that the activity of the yeast consuming the sugars produces this foam like craisin and that craisin that activity just expands and it will fill up uh, if you've got a five-gallon batch and you've got a five-gallon carboy, it will fill up that air that's at the top of that carboy and want to go out of the container. And that's what the blow-off tube is for. It allows for that craisin to blow off, go through the tubing, okay, and into an awaiting container, which is usually half full. And the end of the toes, uh, end of the tubing that runs from your fermentation carboy or environment into that container. Uh, will allow the gases to escape and of course not allow any air back in so it acts like a a, a huge airlock okay so you're creating a an environment that will allow gases to escape but not air to reintroduce itself into your wort especially in these phases these young phases but if you go with the recommendations of getting a large uh, fermentation bucket like a six gallon or six and a half gallon fermentation bucket that is always going to be my recommendation for all new home brewers and you'll avoid that blowover uh environment you will avoid that mess that can be created from you know those that crazy uh, that foam being so active that will it, it wants to escape uh, can it happen with a six and a half gallon uh, container yes it can but if you're producing a five-gallon batch of beer, it's very unlikely that it will happen. So again, my recommendation for you to prevent having to buy that extra blowover tube or, or you know, of course, none of it really costs too much, but to avoid that first uh, event of blowover, um, get yourself the larger fermentation environment and, you know, be using it for quite some time and it'll save the need and the expense of a blowover tube. So... It's so simple to do when you get yourself into this situation where you take the wort that you've created, right, and you put it in the fermentation bucket and you you put the lid on it. Whatever device you use, whether it be the airlock or the blowover tube, there's going to be an exciting activity that happens for the first two to three days. That blowover tube, you're going to see that you know the the the, the container that you've got the tubes end in is going to be bubbling, right? Or that airlock, it'll seem like the thing is just rolling. It's just constantly bubbling. And that activity will happen for the first two to three days. It's very exciting to watch. Uh, it's very exciting to hear. And, of course, the aromatics are pretty intense. They're very nice uh, for the first few uh, few times that uh, for these first two to three days because it's just releasing gas. The yeast is doing its job. It's eating the consumable sugars. And, of course, this creates an activity. Um, and that activity, of course, creates something that's extraordinarily aromatic and delicious smelling. Now you have that point in which you have to wait because the activity will subside and you have to wait a period of time before you can do your next step, which is bottling your beer. So we're going to go back to the joy of home brewing. 
Step seven, ferment for eight to 14 days. This is on page 25. The style of beer you are brewing is an ale. It is brewed at temperatures generally ranging from 60 to 75 degrees or 15 to 24 degrees centigrade. At these fermentation temperatures, there is no advantage to aging or lagering the beer during fermentation. The quality ingredients are used. Visible fermentation will subside within 5 to 14 days. At this time, you will notice that the beer will appear to become darker. This is the result of a once active and circulating yeast becoming inactive and settling to the bottom. The beer begins to clear and appears to become darker starting from the top of the fermenter on down. If you choose to do so, or if necessity dictates, you may store the beer in a carboy with an active fermentation lock for one month without any risk of significant deterioration of flavor. But your beer will be at its best if bottled when visible signs of fermentation are negligible. I think I got that word right. Negligible. <laughs> I do apologize. Um, so when the active fermentation activity is really subsided, you should assure yourself that it is bottling time by taking a hydrometer reading on two or three consecutive days. If the readings remain unchanged, your brew is certainly ready to bottle. Remember, pour a small about, about one cup of beer into your hydrometer flask, taking a reading and either drinking or discarding it, but do not return it to the fermenter. Note, your beer will be hazy or even cloudy at the time of bottling. It will clear in the bottle. So, very good point. How do you determine that your beer is ready to be bottled? So you've been sitting there for about 8 to 14 days. There's no activity coming through your airlock. And, you know, here's your first real exciting moment. Determining whether or not, I'm not your real first exciting moment, but here's your next exciting moment. Deter determining whether or not you should test it with a hydrometer. I would tell you anything beyond 8 days, uh, I usually wait 10 days you can open that fermenting environment. The yeast has done so much work in creating an alcohol at this point, eating the sugars, that the likelihood of you introducing anything into that being that it's not a solid particulate. Like, for example, you're not going to dip your hand in there or anything like that. And again, anything that you use to gather the yeast out would be sanitized. So, you know, Charlie recommends grabbing one cup. So you can get these measuring cups. They're usually, you know, you can buy a glass one cup you sanitize it before you introduce it into that wart. One of the things I would suggest is you would use something like star sand as your sanitizer. And that way that anything making contact to that beer won't kill any yeast activity. Uh, bleach is fine, but make sure that it's completely air dried uh, before you introduce it into that environment. But I like star sand. It's a more present day kind of sanitizer and very versatile. So you're going to take it, you're going to take about one cup of that out, and in that inventory that I mentioned, mentioned on bottling day, uh, or in, in beer day, you're going to have this funnel-like device that like looks like a testing tube, and you're going to pour it in there so that you can measure the hydrometer. Uh, you can put your hydrometer in that testing tube, and it will float and give you a gravity. You're looking for a consistent gravity for two to three days. And what what is a consistent gravity? A consistent gravity is that, you know, on your recipe, it's going to have a suggestion as to what your ending gravity should be. And you're looking for that. But what a consistent gravity is, is that you measure it one day. And then the next day when you measure it, it remains unchanged. Regardless of what the goal gravity is, it remains unchanged. That means the yeast really has done all the work that it can to the wart and it really isn't going to do any more. So, you know, you could test it for two days consecutively or three days consecutively, but you're looking for inactivity. You're looking for that identical gravity reading from day to day. And that will tell you that the yeast has done all its work and it's really not going to do anything else at this point. It's consumed all the sugars in its environment and therefore it's gone inactive and will not produce anything else. As Charlie had mentioned, you know, you could really just store this beer, you know, for an extended period of time. The wart will get a slightly bit darker, but, you know, is it a benefit? I don't necessarily agree that it is a benefit. In fact, I like drinking my ales, you know, 
I will tell you that I play the game of getting the reading and I look for two days of consecutive readings and at which point I really do determine I'm going to prepare my bottling day at that point because it really doesn't take much time to do uh, preparation and bottling of, of my beers or anyone's beers. So again, you're going to let it do that fermentation piece and you're going to allow it to come to a uh, two days of consecutive, two to three days of consecutive readings for your target gravity or close to your target gravity. And then, of course, you're ready to move on to the next step, which is bottling. So here are some secrets. Um, not everyone has an, a fermenting environment. In other words, you don't have a place where you can control the temperature up and down on it. And if you do, good on you. Congratulations. I have a fermenting environment and it really does kind of make things easier. In other words, you, you know, some people, if you're trying to brew in the middle of summer, you've got to put it in a dark, deep place like a closet in the center of the house so that you're running a consistent temperature of anywhere between 65 to 70 degrees. Um, you know, some people, you know, choose not. My, my mentor, Bobby G, does not brew during the summer because it's just too warm and he, he feels it's too much of a risk to brew during the summer. So he brews mostly during the fall and spring season. Uh, so that he's got a, you know a consistent temperature, uh, uh, fermenting temperature in his house during during the season. So that's when he does his peak brewing, and it may be that situation for yourself. There is a secret uh, for temperatures. Um, I love this secret. I've used it a couple of times. It's uh, uh, called sw um, uh, swamping or uh, putting your uh, from chilling your fermenter down in a, in inexpensively so here's here's a it's called a t-shirt trick in the heat of summer keeping your beer oh by the way let me get to the resource the resource of getting this from is the home brewers recipe guide written by patrick higgins amora kate kilgore and paul hurtline so page 19 brewer's tip the t-shirt trick in the heat of the summer keeping your beer at an acceptable fermentation temperature can be difficult Rather than give up on brewing for three months, heaven forbid, we, we've learned a few simple tricks for maintaining ale fermentation temperatures to avoid the addition of off flavors, which can result from fermenting at too high a temperature. Place your fermenter in a bucket or basin filled with cold water. Wet an old t-shirt and wring it out, then place it over the carboy so that the fermentation lock protrudes through the neck hole and the bottom of your t-shirt sits in the cool water. The t-shirt will continually draw up moisture, all right, and allow it to evaporate, thus cooling your beer by five to 10 degrees. An old towel kept wet will also work, but keep an eye out for developing mold. That also applies to the t-shirt. But it is a great trick. Before I had my fermenting environment, if I wanted to brew during the summer, that's what I did. I would take a dishpan, these larger dishpans, they fit, beautifully your carboy will fit beautifully into it and i would fill them with a little water in the bottom probably about half to uh, two-thirds full of water i would take the t-shirt get it soaked wet and then i would put it over the carboy and that neck hole right which most t-shirts have was perfect the top of the carboy would sit there and then the bottom of the t-shirt would lie in the water and during the process it would you know the t-shirt would pretty much remain wet and this kept the temperature of that carboy five five or so degrees lower than if it was to be sitting by itself. It's a great trick, folks. So, um, you know, the, the wet t-shirt technique works very, very well, especially if you're brewing during the hot seasons. Uh, and, you know, it will help maintain. So it shouldn't prevent you. If you want to brew during the summer, go right ahead. Um, so here is a thought process on the higher fermentation temperatures. The Home Brewer's Answer Guide, Solutions to Every Problem You'll Ever Face, Answers to Every Question You'll Ever Ask um, by Ashton Lewis. So, will a slightly higher fermentation temperature ruin my beer? High fermenta temp fermentation temperatures alone won't ruin, won't ruin a beer. Temperature does play a crucial role in flavors generated from yeast during fermentation. As temperatures increase, fermentation rate accelerates. With this faster fermentation comes more aromatic compounds. The aromatic, I mean, the aromas arise because of the metabolic rate is going above at such a clip 
that more metabolic intermediates are excreted from the yeast cells. I liken this to people getting stinky and sweaty (laughs) during vigorous exercise. (laughs) Fruity and the most common type of aromas associated with warmer fermentations. This generic term includes aromas reminiscent of banana, pineapple, and pear, which belong to the class of compounds called esters. Some esters like uh, uh, ethyl acetate smell like solvents. Ethyl acetates is used in uh, acetone-free fingernail polish removers. I don't mind fruity beers, but I hate smelling fingernail polish remover when trying to enjoy a bite. <laughs> Warm fermentation also increases the concentration of uh, higher alcohols. Higher alcohols, uh, a class of compounds, are known for their spicy, vinous aroma and a the propensity to cause headaches. Strong beers normally have detectable levels of higher alcohols, but normal gravity beers like the ones you brewed shouldn't have these detectable levels. If you discover after bottling and aging that your beer smells fruity, solvent, and vinous, or vinous, uh, the warmer fermentation is probably the culprit. So, um, again, you know, you definitely don't want it to get too high, but it if you if you're if your fermenting environment is slightly higher than what you desire, try the t-shirt method. Um, but if it you, you don't have that available to you or you notice that the temperature is sitting at a higher temperature than you prefer for a period of time, it doesn't mean your beer is ruined. It will produce some flavors that are, you know, notable and, you know, not wanted in home brews. But again, don't let it stop you from the fermentation process process. Go through the whole two weeks of fermenting. Uh, Go from eight to 14 days in the fermenting environment and you will succeed. I promise you, you will succeed. If you have any questions, comments, or concerns about fermentation uh, or any of these homebrewing subjects that I brought up in past podcasts, do not hesitate to contact me. My Facebook page is baldman, one word, homebrewing, uh, one word. And then, of course, my email. You can always email me at my Gmail account, beerbestserved, as one word, at gmail.com. Remember, Beer is best served when you make it yourself, and in this case, you are doing that. So please enjoy your home brewing, and don't hesitate to get a hold of the Bald Man Home Brewer, a.k.a. Stubby, if you need any help. Oh yeah, that smells good. What you cooking? Welcome back to a Beer Best Served podcast. I am Ermio, a.k.a. the Bald Man Home Brewer, a.k.a. Stubby. So, uh, where is Stubby slash Ermio slash Bald Man Home Brewer in his brewing life day, hour, minute, second? Right now, uh, in between brews, uh, very excited about this season. I brewed, uh, I'm in the process of doing my third brew uh, in a very short period of time, but Essentially, I've got two on tap, and what I mean by that is I've got two fermenting. The first one is a rustic French ale extract brew. Uh, The next one is a rustic French ale all grain. And what will be done in the very near future is a chocolate coffee porter, which is my Christmas beer. The uh, extract brew is looking very good. Activity is really slowed down. It's to a minimum. And literally in hopefully two days, I will be testing it for its gravity. And we're hoping for a 1.10, or 1.009 gravity. Uh, Hopefully get that two days consistently in a row. So I'll be testing it in a couple of days. And then a third day away, I'll be um, uh, testing it again. I believe at this point, because of the really light inactivity going on with this brew, that it's ready to be bottled. But I'll know that through um, testing the gravity and determining at that point whether this is something that I want to bottle at this point. I, I confidently feel that it's ready. In a short period, about four or five days, I will be brewing the chocolate coffee porter, uh, my Christmas beer. That has been delayed a week because I was not prepared. I didn't have the uh, yeast starter uh, begun, and, um, you know, it, you 
plan these things accordingly. Uh, the e-starter needs to be made about two days in advance. And so hopefully on the same day that I'm bottling my beer, if not the day before, I've created the yeast starter. And therefore, I'm ready to go in, uh, in, in just a short period of time, three to four days, four to, four to five days, to uh, brew my chocolate coffee porter. And I'll let you know a little about that in just a moment. Um, and then lastly, um, about a week and a half from now, um, we're ready to bottle the uh, Rustic French Ale um, uh, all-grain brew that I did with Tony. And that, of course, will be just the same process. In about a week, week and a half, I'll test it for its gravity. I'm shooting for the same gravity, 1.010 or 1.009 as an ending gravity. And if I reach that goal, then I'll be bottling that. Uh, in both cases, I'll be doing a priming sugar, uh, uh, corn, sh corn sugar, um, for both as priming sugars uh, for both those beers. And just an exciting time to be a home brewer in this brew shed because, you know, in a, by, by Thanksgiving, I'll have, you know, two beers to be able to taste and to enjoy and uh, uh, compare. And then, of course, I'm hopeful that by Christmas, I'll have a chocolate coffee porter that I'll be able to give a, as a gift. I will be giving as a gift regardless <laughs> because you uh, will be, uh, my, my brew club, will be getting the beer. And if it's not ready to drink, I'll let you know. But I honestly feel uh, confident that it will be a Christmas ale that everyone will be able to enjoy as they have in years past. So pretty much that is what's going on in uh, the brew, uh, beer shed at the moment. It's just an exciting time because, you know, you, 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 you plan for these things. And, and these are those moments, those high moments when uh, things are coming to fruition and you're going to be bottling this beer, and then a short period later, you'll be tasting the beer that you've bottled. So exciting. I also like to taste the wort at the time of bottling, so I have a, an impression of what's going on, and I make notes of that. But let's talk about the chocolate coffee porter, because I've talked about the rustic French ale recipes. So the chocolate coffee porter, definitely my favorite beer. This will be the eighth edition of this beer. And what I'm doing differently this time is that uh, I will be at, um, working on the water chemistry for this porter. I went into Beersmith and uh, profiled a porter water profile. And so that will be included. Um, and I've never done that before. I've done water profiles with my Pilsners. Um, and I really feel that they progressively got better. And next year I plan on using water profiles for a lot of the uh, beers that I'll be brewing. The primary water that I use for uh, my brewing is distilled water. Um, I will tell you all that reverse osmosis is the hottest thing and you know, really is a, a, um, a system that everyone, especially home brewers from home, are using. Um, distilled I find to be still affordable. Uh, I buy my distilled water from my place of business or I buy it from Walmart and both seem to work very, very well and are very affordable. It still keeps my price point at about 50, 56 cents per bottle uh, beer that I'm making. Uh, per, and so I, I find that extremely affordable com and very comparable to, you know, using tap water and then playing with the water chemistry on that. Although a lot of people, you know, look at it that way and they will use their regular tap water and water is an important component. So understanding the science behind, behind your water can really determine the profiling of your water. And if you look at breweries out there, they use water chemistry uh, just to understand the water profile of the water that they're using. And sometimes they do add uh, minerals and salts and, and different combinations of chemicals to change the profile of the water to accommodate a certain beer style um, through filtration, through reverse osmosis, and of course, chemistry. So. Again, I'm trying to do it on a smaller scale and playing with a neutral water like distilled um, and then using Beersmith as a tool to change that chemistry ever so slightly. And I have had great success. I feel like the Pilsners improved each time with the different water chemistries that I was using and changing the profile ever so slightly and understanding water chemistry. But too much water chemistry talk. Let's talk about the chocolate coffee porter. So this is what I'm going to have in the uh, chocolate coffee porter. I'm going to have uh, nine uh, pounds and nine pounds, 7.2 ounces of pale malt two row, uh, 8.4 ounces of caramel crystal malt 40L, uh, 8.4 ounces of caramel crystal malt 80L, 
uh, 8.4 ounces of chocolate malt, uh, 4.2 ounces of black patent malt, and 4.2 uh, ounces of carafoam. Uh, I'll be using um, calcium chloride, I'll be using salt, I'll be using gypsum, uh, I'll be using Epsom salt, and I'll be using chalk as uh, water profiling in and out. So, um, very, very excited about uh, the different additions that I have, so let's go over it specifically. So, for the calcium chloride, I'll be using 3.78 grams. For the salt, I'll be using, I'll be using a kosher salt, a 3.24 grams. For the gypsum, I'll be using 1.47 grams. For the Epsom, I'll be using 1.19 grams, and for the chalk, I'm using 1.08 chalk um, uh, uh, grams. Um, for mash in, I'm going to using using about 15.43 quarts of water at 167. For the mash out, I'll be using 5.77 quarts of water at 204 degrees. Um, I'll be doing a, a fly sparge of the uh, of the uh, mash to mash out um, and uh, yeah so I'll be using 2.2 gallons of uh, water at 168 degrees to mash out I mean to sparge and the hope is of course is that I will get a good uh, efficiency out of it um, I'm looking for um, you know about about a 5.6 uh, ABV on this beer. Um, I've had hires. I've had lowers. I really don't want lower. I would like it around 5.6. I felt that that was the best um, profile for it. But okay, so my estimated pre-boil gravity is 1.49, and I'm hoping for um, an ending gravity uh, of 1. Uh, I, I uh, let's see what are we shooting for one point pre-boil gravity 1.49 and an ending gravity of 1.53 that's interesting okay well we'll see if that works out that way um and i'm shooting the last time i made this i had a uh a target, I mean, an ending gravity of 5.4, I mean, an ABV of 5.46. So that's how uh, the, the addition, um, uh, addition seven came out. I had an ABV of 5.46, and that's the same target I'll be shooting for with this, this chocolate coffee porter. What I'm really excited about is the water additions, and I'll be adding water additions to the sparge water. I'll be adding water additions to the mash water. So this way, you know, again, it will hopefully influence the water profile and the, the uh, beer profile in positive ways. And we'll see. I could absolutely screw this up and destroy my Christmas beer. And everyone will spit it out like that very first wedding reception beer that I made. <laughs> but I doubt it. I tend to have a little bit more confidence with the brewing. And I look forward to it. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, you know, and it'll be exciting. And I'll, I'll try to take some um, 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 audio notes of my brew days, of my uh, bottling days, and add those to future podcasts so that you can hear some of that experience. Of course, right now in the, uh, the, the podcast series, we're talking about fermentation, what happens in the in the bucket itself, and in future podcasts, I'll be talking about the bottling component of it. So it'll be kind of nice to talk about uh, bottling uh, for you guys as I actually go through the process and add it to probably next podcast notes. So again, uh, if you have any questions, comments, concerns, do not hesitate to contact me. I am uh, Ermio, a.k.a. Uh, Bald Man Home Brewer and uh, Stubby. So my this is the Beer Best Served podcast. You can go to my Facebook page, which is Bald Man, one word, Home Brewing, which is one word, or you can email me at Beer Best Served, which is one word, at gmail.com. Again, remember, a beer is best served when you make it yourself. Have a good time, everyone. Fellow home brewing enthusiast, where do you get your home brewing supplies? I get mine from Blackstone Valley Brewing Supplies, located at 
403 Park Avenue in Woonsucket, Rhode Island. They are open Wednesday through Friday from 4 to 8, Saturday from 10 to 5, and their new winter hours Sunday from 10 to 2. They're closed Monday and Tuesday. Their phone number is 401-765-3830. Their website is www.blackstonevalleybrewing.com. The owner, Charlie Barron, is a great guy, excellent customer service, and a fellow homebrewing enthusiast. His online ordering system is exceptional. You place your order, and moments later, you receive an email confirming what you have ordered. If Charlie does not have it, he will find it. If he cannot find it, then it doesn't exist. I'm just joking. Call Blackstone Valley Brewing Supplies for your home brewing needs. Tell Charlie that a beer best served podcast sent you. Hello, everyone. Welcome to a Beer Best Served podcast. It is that time. It is porter season. So I'm very excited. The beer that I will be reviewing slash featuring this segment is Night Shift Brewing, uh, their phone home, a peanut butter porter. Now, I love porters. Big fan of porters. I love their nice, even balanced flavor. Um, you know, a lot of people like to drink them during the cold season. Primarily, that's when I have mine. But I'll drink a porter anytime. I love porters. Um, it's just, you know, it's it's one of those beers where, to me, it's more of a evening sitting on the back porch, fire in front of you, or fireplace in front of you, and you are enjoying the atmosphere, having a wonderful conversation with your friends and family, and most importantly, you've got this delicious, chilly, um, nice, deep, developed ale in your hands, and you're just enjoying all the moments that are happening all at the same time. So, uh, again, Night Shift Brewing, uh, their phone home peanut butter porter. Uh, It is... uh, So, Night Shift Brewing is in Everett, Massachusetts. And here we go. This is what it says. Inspired by our favorite extraterrestrial affinity for peanut butter candies, we came up with this cosmically delicious peanut butter porter. Phone Home is packed with aromas, flavors of roasted hazelnuts, peanut butter bites, and dark chocolate. Just keep a close eye on your cans. They tend to wander off in the middle of the night. (laughs) Nice E.T. reference there. So let's give it a Go, right? Really nice pour. It's got that deep, chocolatey kind of appearance to it. It's very dark. Very dark brown. Almost like a a coffee. Beautiful foaming, really nice. Oh wow, it it really does have like a peanut butter. Hmm. I keep thinking of like powdered peanut butter. I don't know why. But oh man, it 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 has a nice little peanut butter aromatic to it. Real nice, tight foaming. It's a light foaming, you know. It isn't anything overwhelming. I'm giving it a little agitation here. The foam is really holding up well. Let's have our first sip. The peanut butter comes through. Really has a nice, mellow, portery kind of balance to it. I really like the way porters sending your tongue with a little syrupy t- texture to it. And I like the good, you know, a good porter doesn't leave too much sweetness 
uh, left on the top of your tongue. It's more of a balance, um, a light syrupiness. Uh, so it holds on. And this really does have that, hmm, that chocolatiness, that um, dark malt comes through. Peanut butter ever so slightly on the edge. That hazelnut also, if it if it wasn't brought up in the note, I'd assume it was part of the peanut butter texture. But when they mention the hazelnut notes to it, you definitely get that essence, especially after you take that first sip and maybe breathe out of your nose. That hazelnut comes through really, really well done. A, a, a well-balanced porter. Uh, I'm going to recommend to all you out there that now's the season to be drinking this stuff. So night shift, good on you. Very happy about your porter here. This is uh, going to kick off my season <laughs> of porter making and, uh, and of course, drinking your, your, your night shift brew here. Mm, 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 mm. Really well done. I think that is a good porter. Folks, invest in it. Buy yourself a night shift brewing phone home peanut butter porter, especially if you enjoy porters. I think it'll be a nice little start to your season uh, or just a continuation of what you've been doing well, and that's drinking porters all through the year. Um, so, yeah, good on you. That 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 really is a nice, nice porter. Um, I'm just about to start my chocolate car, uh, coffee porter brewing season, but normally I just brew... Um, well, two years ago, uh, actually three years ago, I had started um, brewing one of my favorite beers, and that was porters. And I had created a chocolate coffee porter that I was going to brew until perfection kind of thing. And with the help of two very good friends, my mentor, Bobby G, um, a.k.a. Longneck, and my friend Patrick, we developed a, um, um, a sweetener profile for it. Um, Bobby had suggested that I use black, black strap molasses as a bottling sugar. At first, I had my doubts, but definitely has given a deep depth to the flavor of the beer. In carbonation, and Patrick and I worked on the hop profile, um, making it so that it was more balanced um, throughout the beer and it didn't dominate the aromatics or the bittering of the, 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 the porter. And the collaboration of the three of us, I, I you know, it's my Christmas beer. And, uh, yeah, um, I cannot wait to brew that beer. It's just so very exciting. Which brings up the point, you know, when you find a style of beer that you really, really enjoy brewing, and, um, you know, you get it to a point where you, you, you don't want to change it anymore. To me, it's it's like... You know, the la I have brewed the chocolate coffee porter seven times, and each time it was ever so slightly different. I think probably the one thing I didn't change so much in it was once I found the yeast that I wanted to use in it, I've used A10 Darkness, Imperial A10 Darkness, as my porter yeast, and I will search high and low for it to get it just to use that yeast. I find it to be Imperial Organics. A10 darkness to be my porter yeast and I would I wouldn't really change it off if I had to of course if I can't get A10 darkness anymore I'll I'll try another uh, ale yeast or porter yeast um you know try something from white labs but again the imperial darkness A10 darkness is my porter yeast go to and uh, I really feel it brought it to its next level to its top level of the game uh, the other thing that I think that helped improve the uh, chocolate coffee porter was, you know, finding a yeast profile, I mean, um, uh, uh, a hop profile that really didn't, uh, you know, kept the flavor of that porter dominant. So I wanted the features of coffee, um, uh, yeah, coffee and chocolate um, to be, you know, the, those subtle hints, kind of like this peanut butter uh, porter here. You want it as the subtle hints, and you don't want bitterness or a, a, a dominant um, hoppy aromatic to to you know take away from that. And so, finding that hop profile that will never change, and the types of hops I use will never really change. Um, other than that, the recipe has pretty much maintained itself with like the 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 grain bill. 
uh, or malt bill has always been the same. Um, one thing I, I, I have, I guess, changed and may or may not have perfected is the water profile of the beers. Since I'm beginning into water chemistry, I, I play with that a little bit more. And even in addition eight, I've, I've, I'm changing the water chemistry ever so slightly uh, to have more of a porter profile to it. I'm taking the suggestions from Beersmith and, you know, we'll see how it goes. Uh, I don't suspect that it'll be, uh, it'll hurt the beer. I think it'll actually uh, be an improvement in the beer, but you never know, right? You, I'm a uh, bottle conditioner, as I've explained. Um, and so I can't tell you what the beer is going to taste like until it's four weeks beyond the point of, um, you know, brewing it. So, and in, in this case here, I'm going to start it now so that I can get a good, you know, uh, six to eight weeks on it before I give it out as gifts and Christmas. So to those out there that belong to the Bald Man Home Brew Club, you're going to be getting a chocolate coffee porter this year. Um, uh, and I, I'm looking forward to it. But yes, there are little things that I'll be doing differently to that beer. Um, but I, I, I love the whole, you know, you know when you, when you play with the recipe and you take those detailed notes and you're, you're comparing it one to the other. And like I said, I brewed this seven times. And so this, I finished that chocolate coffee porter, sadly, at the beginning of this year. And I never really revisited it simply because of, you know, the many factors in my life that were happening at the time. So I didn't get to brew as often. But I cannot wait for this eighth edition to 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 get started on it and and to brew this beer so that I can really see if everything I've learned in my home brewing uh, career of three and a half years, um, you know, develops into a better porter. Uh, and I'm always looking for that. I mean, like, I would be so proud to make this phone home. This would be like, oh, I, I hit the mark. Um, the brewer that did this hit the mark. You know, anyone who drinks this, if they love porters, and understands what's in this beer and takes the subtle notes that are given in the description, this is what you're going to taste. This is the, the hazelnut is just like this subtle pleasantry that, you know, if I didn't know uh, it had that note, I would just drink it and go, oh, it's a nice little peanut butter porter. But that hazelnut note almost gives it like a Nutella um, presentation. And it is, wow. I'm going to buy another four-pack of this thing. <laughs> nice ship brewing. You've convinced me to buy another four-pack of your porter because my Christmas porter is well <laughs> over a month away. So I've got to keep myself inspired. The bubbles have remained. They're very tight, very nice. I can re-agitate them up. Um, aromatics have maintained. Oh, just well done. So, you know, back to the point about brewing your beers and, and having, you know, uh, that experience where you've, you're going to, aha, that's exactly what I want to do. That's why I do this kind of research. Yeah. <laughs> Joke in hand. Uh, whenever I have a beer and I, I, I'm drinking it, not only is it for the pleasure, but especially for the podcast, it's for the research piece. Um, I like drinking beers that I like making. So... In the case of this porter, I tell you, I, I, I really do enjoy um, what I'm tasting here. I have a habit of emailing out to the different um, uh, breweries that I of the beers that I'm re reviewing. And since I'm such a young podcaster, I haven't gotten any, res any responses from any of those uh, breweries, of course. But I'm a young brewer, and I'm, I'm sure that anybody who e emails out is, you know, uh, question mark question who is this person research find out before you respond kind of thing and i don't mind i mean if i'm asking you my god you know i did a review of your beer first of all who are you you know doing a review of our beer second of all you know do i really give you the notes of how i made the beer i think the home brewing community is like that where they they feel free to do that they, they have no problem doing that i think just like the craft brewing community they want home brewers to you know mo most of them are made of you know, home home brewers, right? So the craft brewing industry is looking at out there and saying, hey, yeah, you know, I'll give you some insights, how you can make your beer better. I mean, these head brewers, 
they used to be home brewers and what you know what a dream job right i mean to go from having a hobby um home brewing and becoming a, a head brewer of a brewery that is very very exciting of course i'm so friggin old <laughs> i'm ancient and you know uh, have, are so deep in my own personal career with the company i'm working with there's no way i'm going to become a head brewer <laughs> anywhere except in my own little beer shed uh, my brew shed. My brew shed, I'm very proud of. It's a great brewery, Baldman Home Brewing. And uh, I'll, I'll stay there. I'll be the whole the head brewer of Baldman Home Brewing. Um, but I give this on to you. Again, the notes on this uh, phone home, Night Shift Brewing. Everything it says in the description. It has that beautiful porter texture to it. It has a nice little syrupy touch to the top of your tongue. The hop profile is subtle. It's not overwhelming. It doesn't take away from the experience of the um, the peanut butter or that hazelnut note, almost like a Nutella. Um, it's not chocolatey, but it's got like that hazelnut, peanut butter kind of essence to it. Very nice. Uh, a pleasant feel on the top of my tongue. Light bittering on the side of my tongues, which I expect from a porter. It's got that uh, deep, dark um, uh, chocolate malt texture on the side of my tongues here uh tongue here and um, again uh, very straightforward porter very nicely done very drinkable um i could see it again having a glass of this in front of a fireplace well done on to you night shift you've done well with this beer it it is delicious it is really delicious folks go out there and get this before it's no longer available on your shelf again night shift brewing located in everett Massachusetts um, phone home peanut butter porter phone home peanut butter porter really nicely done congratulations to you guys I use this time to of course thank the people out there who have allowed this podcast to happen starting with my wife thank you very much honey without you I wouldn't have this shed <laughs> I wouldn't have my ego <laughs> and uh, you know I wouldn't be doing these podcasts um, to my kids, thank you guys very much for your support. To my mentor, Bobby G, a.k.a. Longneck, thank you so very much. You got me into this. Uh, to my homebrew shop, um, Blackstone Valley Brewing, thank you very much, Charlie, for being there and having the supplies. Folks, if you need your beer support, home brewing supplies, please check out Blackstone Valley Brewing. And, of course, to Night Shift Brewing, Guys, good on you. This really is a beautiful chocolate. Uh, I mean, this is a beautiful peanut butter uh, porter. Well done, uh, folks. Go out and get yourself one. Always remember, homebrewers, a beer is best served when you make it yourself. All right, we're done here. Put the damn thing in a box, tape it up, ship it out. No questions asked, all right? You got a problem with that? 